Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Shower Thoughts. Shouldn't feet just be called leg hands? Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fishy Joe's. Put your taste slapper on our new poplars with the gallon of cheese filling. Oh yeah, Fishy Joe's. You didn't get through any of that. I really didn't. No one has any idea what you just said, including me. Welcome to The Pestle. I'm Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is... I don't know anymore. I'm pretty sure it's still a podcast about movies. Uh, we've yeah. not strayed too far from the point. But the thing about recording a podcast, and that is what we do. I mean, we analyze, pick apart films. Um, but I'm really excited because today we have a special guest. Yeah. Would you introduce our special guest? Is my better half, the lovely Dr. Jennifer Sapio. Thank you so very much. And you that. earned that doctor title. <laughs> That's right. Truly. That's right. <laughs> I earned that doctor Thank title you. too. Yes, you did. I appreciate your support always. Thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, I'm so for glad. Us, like I so one of the things about running a podcast is that you become acutely aware that every time you talk or every second that pass, uh, that moment to moment, you don't want to let it slip, right? You realize there's this kind of built-in momentum of someone's listening, the clock is rolling, uh, tape is running through, whatever. So everything you try to say is supposed to be not necessarily the most important thing in the world, but you don't want these long gaps. Or And what ends up happening time and time again, especially when I'm editing, like last week, I was, I was editing the uh, episode for Edge of Tomorrow, and I was listening to myself in playback, and I say stupid stuff all the time that I don't catch because you're so fervent in trying to grab the next word. Like, what is it I'm trying to say? And so sometimes you don't really collect your thought the right way. And so I kept using the word tangential last week, which was fine up until towards the end, whenever I was talking about my movie recommendation and I said that it was super tangential, (laughs) (laughs) which if you understand tangential means it lightly overlaps. And so you, you, what does it mean to be super slightly overlapping? <laughs> does that mean it's overlapping more or overla- overlapping <laughs> less? Like, what yeah. does that mean? It's kind of like bi-weekly. <laughs> yeah. It can mean twice a week. It can mean any other week, mm-hmm. like every other week. It just yeah. is a completely useless phrase. And so I don't, you're a teacher, you've been professors, uh, you've been teaching for years. And I just wonder, is it ever like that in the classroom where you look back and you're like, man, I really screwed the pooch on that. I've said a couple of things I um, could have said more artfully, for sure, (laughs) you know, several times. But you nailed it, too, about there's some certain magic to, like, setting the scene and then pressing record and go. Like, I'm on when it's teacher face, you know, and they're... More than I'm surprised by that stupid thing that I said, I'm surprised by that really awesome thing I said. I walked out, I'm like, wow, I did not plan for that to go so well. That's really damn cool. I mean, I'll say, I I guess I listen to myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, did I say that? Right? Um, More often than not, I hear... It happens to me all the time, guys. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. This This is a daily, on the daily for me. Which one? Every, you surprise yourself with the with the with the smart thing. Yes, on the daily. Yeah, there you go. Every so, meeting I ever go into, I leave. I'm like, oh man, I still have a job. That's crazy. <laughs> How did that happen? 
Todd walks around with like a little transcriber in his backpack who just writes down all his magic. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. Amazing. I have it all like like archived, <laughs> ready to dig it up at a moment's notice. Well, I'm super excited. You have a doctorate in what exactly? Uh, the program that I received my PhD in is English. So in other English. words, I should have just said <laughs> English. English. <laughs> but it's but, more specific than that. Well, you specialize in a particular time period or geographical area or whatever. And so technically speaking, I'm a medievalist. I studied Ooh. super old, you know. Dead white guys mostly. <laughs> Why just them? Jeez. Yeah. Are you, are you like racist some, or something? There was some weird thing about like girls, I don't know, not being able to be educated, you know, yeah. be taught how to read and write. Sounds pretty good. It was rough. a problem before, yeah. It's this thing a long time <laughs> it's this ago. Whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. We live in a pretty awesome time. Indeed. We do. It's yeah. getting better. I was yeah. just telling my students, it, it, so there's like up. three white people <laughs> right. you know, in, a, in a room <laughs> on a microphone. Um, I was sharing today with the 12th grade that I'm working on an article called They Would Have Burned Me at the Stake. So we were literally just talking about this topic. That's another one, too, literally, that it was, yes, it was literally the, the love, perfect you, metaphor. I think about that one that all word. the time. What? Yeah. And it, so we're getting tangential now, but... The Oxford English okay. Dictionary, whenever we did a uh, UT video together, we worked together before, mm-hmm. and we made this video that helped me understand what the OED is or the Oxford English Dictionary. And it, more than anything, it kind of surprised me that it's just kind of logging the way words are used. It's not necessarily telling you this is what this word means. It's so much as this is the way people use this word contextually. Mm-hmm. And so recently they went ahead and changed literally so that it would reflect in future generations whenever they're reading our work or listening to our stupid podcast. And when someone, when we say, yeah, and they, their heads literally exploded, like, oh, well, the Oxford English Dictionary said that back then. They said literally to mean figuratively. Mm-hmm. And so I think about that a lot because what? I'm like, I need to start saying figuratively more, and I never do. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. What? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. It's just a historical record of language. It's not a. It's not a judge. It right. doesn't say... You know, X is right or wrong. Oh, it's not like a dictionary like we know dictionaries today. Today, well, dictionary. We maybe just understand dictionaries wrong. Mm. Ooh. Oh, oh. <laughs> there's a there's a movie in here. Yeah. <laughs> My word is absolutely. I say that it- way too much. <laughs> I'd, Absolutely, it is. It, I, <laughs> I have no crutches. I don't repeat myself ever. Every single sentence. Yeah, right. <laughs> every, every single word I say is new. <laughs> I've never said this word before. <laughs> anyway, so. Yeah, so moving on. What are we doing? We're doing. Yes, let's, let's let my, my lovely wife introduce the movie that we're doing. Really? This week. Oh, yes. that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, this is where you say the title. Of the I love yeah. the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. It's, I call it my favorite movie. I think I mean it when I say it. It's got Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. Nice. Yeah. No. Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm really excited because usually when we invite a guest on, we let them pick the movie. And sometimes it's people pick their favorite film if we haven't already covered it it's really surprising that we haven't done this one already yeah uh, i feel like maybe we were just saving it until uh, we could get you on um, oh, no. so it's in my top five saying yeah, uh, maybe top, not in my top, top five at but least yeah, yeah. 
I just, I've only seen it once or twice. I mean, we'll get into all that, but like, I'm really excited to hear why it is your favorite movie. Yeah, you do. Um, get your thoughts on some, because I've only seen this once or twice, and I picked up on a couple of things that I definitely never picked up before. And so I'm going to be picking your brain as well. Hmm. well. I am too. I mean, we watched it a bunch together, and it's been one of our favorite movies for, for the longest time. But and I felt when we watched it this time, I felt myself wanting to ask you all these questions. And I was like, nope, nope, I'll save it for the podcast. Nope. You're like stirring the pasta. And you're like, so what about, oh, never mind. Never mind. I'll ask you in a couple hours. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just to preview, I do not have a very intellectual reason, actually. You know, it has That's nothing okay. to do with any all the better. smart reason. Yeah, even better. Maybe, maybe yeah. we'll dig in and see if we can kind of like hone in on why. Yeah. Fun. For you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, by the way, spoilers, if you have not seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, please pause this, go watch it and come back and and, uh, and listen to more. Yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of things. We'll talk about cinematography, some of their camera tricks that they did a little bit. I don't want to get too heavy into that. I feel like that's been picked apart to death uh, in various communities. Uh, but we'll also talk about writing and story, some of the subtle commentary they're making in there I thought was really interesting. Um, and of course, we'll pick the brain of our resident doctor. I have this ankle issue and I'm going to get your opinion on that <laughs> <laughs> and other such stuff and things and stuff. Tape and aspirin to it. Uh, okay. Quick synopsis of the film. When their relationship turns sour, a couple undergoes a medical procedure to have each other erased from their memories. It's directed by Michelle Gondry, screenplay by Charlie Kaufman, cinematography by Ellen Curris, featuring Jim Carrey as Joel, Kate Winslet as Clementine, Kristen Dunst as Mary, Tom Wilkinson as Dr. Merzwiak, Mark Ruffalo as Stan, and Elijah Wood as Patrick. You really have seen this bunch. I have. Wait. And music by John Bryan. Oh. <laughs> what? I don't know. What Just do you wait. want, Joel? Just wait. I don't know. I want you to wait for Just a while. I'm not a concept, Joel. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. I'm not perfect. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Right now, I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Change your heart. You can just, uh, you can just let it play. I know, right? Listen to that song. Yeah, just let that play underneath. <laughs> so, how many times would you say you've seen this? Ooh, um, twenty. That's impressive. for sure. Around twenty. And you're not a big movie watcher, so that's saying a lot. I. I was more of a movie watcher when this movie came out. Mm -hmm. And my my taste, I don't know, I've gotten grumpy in my old age and and yeah, I've watched fewer movies now. But this your one's old still age, you're 35 yeah. years old. Yeah. Well, is that old? 15 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. true. Ago, you know? Yeah. Dang. What? Yeah, so what do you think that is? It is that draws you to it. You know, 
that that scene I have talked about that scene just in life so many different times that moment when they look at I mean it's it is about a relationship and we can talk about relationships and love and that stuff but it's you know it's about looking at the crap of life and still having a hopeful positive you know just putting one foot in front of the other that that you know grin and the sparkle in their eyes at the end when they say okay that's like life kind of sucks right it's gonna be the same thing we're gonna do this over again tomorrow right you know that right and they're like yeah let's do that does that sound like the definition of love and life mm-hmm. too right yeah that's true peaks and valleys that doesn't change no matter what yeah there's no such thing as erasing your mind and or or taking away you know negatives of life and you got to keep on going you know that's I don't really know. Cool. it's powerful it's beautiful yeah You've seen this probably, if she's seen it 20, you've probably seen it like 18 times then. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say she introduced me to it, right? Had you Had I seen, seen it, it before? I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I was a music guy. So I wasn't really, I mean, I liked movies, but I wasn't like crazy, you know, about them. Uh, I mean, it, like, I wasn't like, I didn't go out looking for them like I do now. It was mm-hmm. a different kind of relationship that I had with them. So... Yeah, I want to say maybe you introduced me to this and it was definitely transformative. I think it was like a, for me, it was somewhat like what you said, but also just, you know, I would rather spend a crappy day with you than the best day in the world with anybody else. That's what I kind of take, took away from it, take away from it still. Like, you know, you and I, we have hard days and still the hard days are like better than any great day that I had before you. And that's the point, right? Right. Like you every day, and you tell me that all the time, every day you choose. <laughs> every day she's like, God, I hate you, but you know what? It's better than, it's better than, it's better than being alone. Oh, oh shit. Never said that. Great. <laughs> Outwardly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, and that's, yeah, that scene is so good, but can we can we talk about the actual like movie? Can we like yeah, start yeah, yeah. dive in because there's there's stuff that I definitely want to call out in this list that we want to oh, go nice. through. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I'll jump through because uh, I mean, there's so many places. For one, getting into some of the cinematography stuff, I love the title sequence because of the way yeah. it just kind of fades away and it kind of degrades um, in this really light, you know, erosive way. Kind of like you know, it's memories. It's kind of injecting that idea early on, like. Oh, these things, these these words, everything just kind of fades away like a memory. Um, I love all the the handheld nature of it. It's roaming around and it's explorative and, you know, all the movements. And it really, I think, adds a level of groundedness to it, which you really want because of all the visual effects and the practical effects. Like, I don't know how much of this was visual versus practical, which is the coolest feeling in the world. Totally. Um, yeah. Whenever you don't know, right, that's like. Oh, I'm just sucked into this story now at a certain point. Um, but all the camera movement, everything about it's a little messy. 
which is like a memory. You know, you never feel led by the camera or you never feel everything's perfectly composed because this is Charlie Kaufman does not like to write about nice buttoned up things like you're not going to catch him writing a, a rom-com. This is the closest he'll ever get to writing a rom-com. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and it's still so messy and evocative of real life and real experiences. This feels like a real lived in world that just in the city they discovered how to create memory wiping you know services and i love even the the little file naming conventions whenever he's logging all the files of the memories and they have these weird long like arduous file namings and it's just like yeah that's if you were having to do this crap for a living you, it would look like that and it feels yeah. weathered and beaten up all of that plays really well in i love how they're hiding all the edits and the effects I don't know. I didn't really look up other than the fam- most famous one, which is that uh, street uh, scene, the the running around the camera. If, if you know how the street scene is, I'll definitely get your thoughts on that here in yeah. a second. Then, but I love that they try to. And this is Michelle Gondry to a T. He loves getting everything in camera if it can be done in camera, like the sand in the living room. Like that's just work. That's just a lot of elbow grease. We're yeah. just going to haul in sand and water in the house, right? They're in this house. And now there's suddenly freaking a foot and a half of water in there. Yeah. Uh, it's insanity. Uh, but I think they also do a lot of practical edits that help hide, you know, the edit, which like a whip pan, I think you might also call it like a swish pan where you whip the camera so fast that there's a lot of motion blur. And then whenever you get in post, you can hide that edit in that motion blur. If Whether you do a hard cut or you do like a few frames of a dissolve, it blends those two shots together. So if you have Jim Carrey on the left and Jim Carrey on the right, uh, well, obviously there's only one him. And if you wanted to, this isn't how they did any of his scenes, I believe. Uh, I think they did this with hers, though, with Kate Winslet, Clementine, whenever she's like walking around in the apartment. I want to say... Mm-hmm. It looked like they were doing a, a whip pan where she's on the left and then they roll over to the whip to the right and suddenly she's in the kitchen. Yeah. And, and and you film that scene very simply like, OK, we're going to get two takes in this first take. You're on the left. I whip over and now we're going to start the next take by whipping into it. I did this uh, in some of our UT videos that I made, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's just a simple, effective way to make a seamless transition if you want to transition at all. And in their case, they're not really transitioning. They're just hiding an edit, uh, which is really damn cool. But the car street scene, I just kind of assumed that they were hiding a, uh, a mask through the telephone pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what they were doing? For t- twice, they do that. Yeah. But then the third time, yes. they don't. They What do they do it's, that third it's time? It's in his run. Oh. You, if you watch it, yeah. you can see there's like a little hiccup in his run. And it's just right there. It's just right there. They did it. But they that's didn't cool. have a mask. Like, but they did mask around the phone pole. They did. Because it splits the entire scene. That's why you wouldn't want to do it there, Todd. Run, run behind the phone pole. <laughs> and then that splits the scene. And so, you know, then it, it flips on the other side. Oh, but in so that great. third one, they don't. It's, they pull they pull back so it's a wider shot mm. and they and they've moved the camera so they can't use the phone pole anymore because he doesn't run past the phone pole right and the car is already there so they just do it on again him. and again and again until they just do it on him yeah. like he is the edit yeah. and you, you can see it a little bit his run is a little stuttered in that moment and it's so cool because you know it's a dream and you know that it's being edited or wiped. And so you just, your mind completely lets go of things being perfect or even edits being perfect. The edits can be wavery like that. 
that would you would never get away with that if it was like real world. Yeah. But in something like this, it's like, oh no, I expect that. Because, yeah. And another cool thing, if you if you look closely, when he first when he realizes that he's in he's being edited, and he grabs, uh, I don't know if he has Kate yet. I don't think he has Kate yet. The first time that he goes back to Wozniak's. Uh, uh, office, Wozniak. whatever. <laughs> Mares, Mareswiak. Mareswiak. What is it? M- Mer- uh, what's her name? Correct. Damn it, Jim Coffin? Carrey at the desk. Right? Yeah, she was like Mareswiak. Mareswiak. <laughs> okay, sorry, my bad. Mareswiak. The first time he goes back to Mareswiak's office. I'm never going to say that name again in the rest of the podcast. <laughs> the doctor. Uh, the doctor's office um, where you can still see their faces mm-hmm. in the dream. If you notice, they're on him and he has a jacket on and a, and a, like a sweater or something. Okay. Like a sweater and then a shirt underneath, right? Mm-hmm. And it pans to the doctor and then it pans farther right to him, his old self, his like yeah. sitting there. Mm-hmm. That's practical. That is in the edit. He ran from one side of the, of the camera to the other, messed up his hair, right? And then, and took off that top layer. Yeah. And then when they pan back, they pan to the doctor again and they pan back to where he was and he put the sweater back on and he's standing right there. Whenever that, there's that hard spotlight that. Yes. Kind the, of in the hard spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the dream. He did that like practically in camera. Just sweat, man. Just, yeah. I Just, love that stuff. What's amazing is how composed he is whenever he arrives at that other one. Cause he's in this thoughtful contemplative, like he's just kind of out there and he just nails it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's hard acting <laughs> like to run that sprint and be in character in the moment of this other completely different character. <laughs> so did that, you know, obviously before Jim Carrey did this, he was a, you know, straight com- comedy. Yeah. Were you surprised that he was going to do a drama like before you saw? Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? So I've been trying to remember and I can't. I don't recall the first time. I remember one of the early times. I remember a time in the theater, but I can't recall the first time. But in any case, I was stunned by Jim Carrey's performance. I was so, I mean, I hadn't... I don't know. Had he done a serious movie? Was, was like Man on the Moon before that? Or I can't no, remember the timeline man, exactly. If this was, that was the definitely first one. This was 2004. But yeah, I was stunned. Yeah. And I, I remember too seeing the trailers for the movie before it came out. And the trailers were like, you know, so-and-so memory service. They were basically commercials for the doctor's office. And I was young and, you know, technology changing so quickly and everything. And I do remember my first reaction being like, is that real? (laughs) Like for real? (laughs) I mean, that's how the trailer was set up. Was that, uh, was this, you know, here we are and come on down, call us, you know, we're in New Jersey or whatever. Yeah. So he did have a couple dramas in his hat. He, he did have man on the moon in 99 99? and Truman show. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. So it was it wasn't the first, right? So mm-hmm. I had seen those movies before. Okay. But still it was just so the the chemistry between the two of them. I just totally bought that they loved each other and they always had and they hated each other's guts and it was awesome. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> like it's awesome. <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, I think all the, all that camera work, all that, all those editing tricks 
really just adds to the kind of surreal quality that they're going after. And to some extent to the comedy too, whenever you get to those laugh lines, you know, those punchlines, they just kind of give you a little something extra because it's unexpected and it feels, I don't know. Yeah. It's all very surreal. Like any of your memories are, uh, whenever you're kind of thinking back and where you are now versus where you were then everything feels like it was a dream to some extent. The thing that I love about this movie so much is that there is no explanation for the editing. The editing is just, okay, it's real life, and now it's not. It, or it's hmm. real life, and it's a dream. And, and there is no transition between the two. Mm-hmm. So you have to pay attention in some cases to know if it's reality or dream. I mean, I think you, it's pretty, they do a good job of like, you know, if you're paying attention, you notice. And that's but. the thing, like getting to writing and story stuff, because that's like the very first thing I said was you have to keep up with what's happening. Yeah. It demands your attention. Yeah. And like the scenes shift very, very quickly. You're in a memory one second. And then in that same scene, it becomes a meta conversation about holding on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just lightning fast. And if, yeah, if you're not tuned in, you're going to be tuned out very quickly yeah. uh, because you're just not going to understand what's happening. And just the the brilliance of of the writing to to say where he he actually finds his memory of Kate, right? Okay, uh, of Clementine. Finds his memory of Clem and tries to tries to hide her in other parts of his of his memory is just brilliant and it's so much fun he goes back to when he's a kid mm-hmm. right they'll never find us here he goes to the embarrassing moment of him like masturbating mm-hmm. right in bed and getting caught all of these places where she's not supposed to be because she didn't exist yet right in his world in his brain yeah and what's great about that from a writing perspective is that that moment really raises the stakes Whenever yeah. he no longer wants to erase his memory because now it becomes a, a tug of war between love and memory or science even yeah. to some degree. Because can he beat science? Uh, can love conquer all? And then it eventually even transitions into holding on versus letting go. Like, what does it mean to keep holding on? What does any of it really matter if he's not going to change? And if he wasn't really loving her for her anyway, uh, what's the point in holding on to it? Uh, so there's like all these great conversations that really kick off whenever he makes that first decision to fight against the machine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really intense because otherwise, why do we care if he's getting his memories wiped? We're just yeah. kind of along for the ride. But the moment he decides that that's no longer what he wants after the pendulum started swinging, like, well, here we go. Tension. <laughs> oh my gosh. And he's on his knees and he's screaming, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, it, that is so powerful. Can you imagine being in the room when he was mm-hmm. on his knees screaming at the top of his lungs? Oh, that's such a powerful scene. Yeah. I was in the living room two hours ago, just weeping and weeping. And that is, that's the like pivot point when he regrets doing it, you know, and you can wonder what in the hell Clementine you know, if she had that moment too, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know? Oh, I never thought. And of that. Mary, and I mean, uh-huh. think, thinking about that process of regret, like playing out and in she, your dreams. And yeah. she's so interesting. Mary is a really interesting character, and uh, I think that's going to really trigger this next conversation. Because on the one hand, will starting over actually change anything? Like, why should it if they can't remember their past mistakes? They're just going to continue that cycle that she's talking about at the end in that clip we played. 
But the only person with any real clarity is Mary. Like she leaves with her memories and everyone's memories boxed up and gives them back to everybody. Because to some degree, the movie is making an interesting case, I think, that we only really remember fondly the best parts, but only talk about the worst parts. Because every time we see them talking to each other, they're just bagging on each other. But all his memories are about all these great things. And he's like, why? So what's the point? What's the point in holding on if the only thing you ever really discuss is how you're going to tear each other down? Like that, those, those moments are so clarifying. Yeah. But the ending is really interesting just from a writing perspective, too, because the end of a drama doesn't need to be all tears and screaming. Like a lot of dramas t- tend to have these kind of over revelatory moments that come through, you know, the chase sequence or what have you. Uh, but here they, they didn't do that. It's just kind of them saying goodbye. And then failing to say say goodbye while knowing what it means to stay. And that's it. That's your ending. Yeah. They stuck it out. Uh, But on the page, this is the cool thing to me whenever I think about writing. Because on the page, it probably looked really plain just reading that off the page. And so it takes a really firm vision of the emotional beats of your story Mm -hmm. to confidently go with that ending. To say that, yeah, this is going to land because this is true and there's going to be uh, an emotional component to this that's really going to resonate with people, which obviously it has. Well, as a filmmaker, you just have to have, have to rely on your actors in that regard. They yeah, have to like and, paint and, that world in that scene. Yeah. And on the story you've told up until this point yeah, that right. the audience wants these people to be together yeah. for whatever reason. And yeah, your, your actors now need to sell their chemistry. They need to sell their love and their, their emotional resonance of why this makes sense to, to keep going. Yeah. But the commentary that I think they're making here, uh, and y'all can comment on any of this, uh, once, I get through this next tiny bit as I feel like they're deconstructing the quote unquote nice guy. I feel like there's a commentary that he's making, which is interesting for 15 years ago because you wouldn't expect something like this out of a movie from 2004. But it's interesting because the nice guy, you know, never really says what he thinks or feels until it's like vindictive. And then it's a weapon. It's like this big explosive thing uh, that he's been waiting to, to hit you with. And you, you hear that word nice in their, that opening scene, right? She mm. keeps kind of mocking him for it. She hates it. Uh, and then she kind of just buys into it, um, which is really cool. Uh, but throughout the entire movie, she says this uh, towards the end, like all he's doing is projecting who he wants her to be. Like all the dialogue in those memories are just him. He's fabricating his own projection of her and not who she yeah. really is. And if you just kind of step back in a more mic- macroscopic view, I think all the guys in this film are really spineless. <laughs> like Patrick is trying to trick Clementine into loving him. Uh, Stan has this really great edit where we cut from Joel as a little kid, right? He's under the table and he's making this comment like, I really want to be picked up in hell. (laughs) (laughs) And and then what we do from there, though, we cut to reality and see that Mary is holding Stan. Mm -hmm. That's such a cool edit. Um, And it's really emblematic of, you know, these guys who just kind of struggle with uh, (laughs) loving themselves, I guess, or just being men or adults. Uh, And of course, Dr. Mirzwiak cheats on his wife. And the interesting part of that isn't that he cheats. It's that he erases Mary's memory to cope with it. Mm -hmm. That's that's how he's going to get by is by making her pay the cost. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wildly jacked up. Uh, They're all cowards. And so I think it's a commentary. I don't think he's presenting any 
solutions, though. I don't think there's anything in this that leads me to believe, well, men should be X, like men should be this macho cliche or whatever. I don't think he's making that assertion or comment, Mm -hmm. but I found it really interesting that there was some, there seemed to be anyway, some deconstructing going on as we deconstruct and go back through his memories, his childhood. And those are all very formative moments. They're supposed to be like these hideaways, but they're also, you know, core to his psyche. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't like the violence and what did that make him weaker? Um, He was kind of ashamed of his sexuality. Uh, did, Did that also make him weaker? Like who, and so maybe there's just a less, less of a dramatic statement than more of a dramatic question of what does it really mean to be uh, a man and to what do you, what is it that you're trying to bring into a relationship? I don't know. I just found it really interesting and it felt like they were, he was commentating more than like delivering anything. Yeah. No, that, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like that's probably pretty spot on. And the, the, the manliness he ever became that Joel ever got was at the very end when he said, okay, Mm -hmm. it's the first time he ever actually dealt with her and who he knew that she, she was because you also hit something on the head. She is completely different in his dreams, completely different. Like in reality, she like, you know, we see a few memories, um, and like good times and stuff, but it usually ended like really bad. Them walking down the street, I want to have a baby. And then it ends up in screaming and all that stuff. But then when, when he finds her, when he actually finds her memory and is dragging her along, trying to hide her, she's supportive of him. She follows him. She shows him her crotch, you know, like in that's supposed to, you know, cause that's a thing for him. She's like giving him in his dream, what he wants in reality. And she never did that. Maybe she did at the beginning, but she never did that after like towards the end. And so, which is one of the reasons why they probably ended up breaking up because he wanted her to give him all of those things that are in his dream that she was giving him in his dream. And that's why he was trying to save her memory. Cause like, no, this is how I remember you. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a commentary on, on memory itself and like how it degrades naturally, how it changes naturally. I mean, I want to throw this to you because you're writing a memoir right now and in, in it, obviously your memory might be different from say your mother's or your father's that because it was 34, 35 years ago when you were three years old, your first memory and they might remember it different. But yeah, I think there's a commentary on, on memory itself in in that regard, because she is very different than she is in real life. And I mean, it's like noticeable. She's very aggressive, uh, in real life and she's not super, you know, yeah, she's not super aggressive at all. And she's, she's more like Joel in, in the, uh, in his dream. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and (laughs) which is part of the reason why I love it because I think that everybody who's ever had a breakup and then you go and you think about it, the first thing you think of is not the bad stuff. The first thing you think of is all the good stuff and it's in a string. It's not like this good day was followed by this really shitty day. was followed by 10 more days of shitty days. And then there was another good day. And you know, you put those two good days together and that's the memories that you have of them. And that's what we see half the time, you know, until he starts taking her to all these other places. We see these beautiful memories like of, uh, at Montauk and, and in, um, the frozen lake and, and stuff. And yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, there's there's this one scene where he, you know, takes the ketchup packet and slices his throat, you know, and lays on the ground. They're getting ready to go to somewhere. Looks like they're heading out. And she's like, I'm fucking shivering in my boots, you know, and walks over him just so dismissive. And there's this like one and a half seconds of him in the room alone, wiping the ketchup off of himself, you know, and just that was so powerful. I don't know if I'd ever noticed that scene before watching it today. And that really hit me, you know, for the first time ever, like how much he was striving and how much he was desiring, you know, the attention and the kindness and the love. And I mean, what a fool you feel like wiping ketchup off of yourself, you know, and getting nothing. Good point. Yeah. Trying to get a reaction and participate and create a memory or do something fun, just to amuse her. And she's just way over it. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too. So, my children caught a couple of scenes of this movie, which was they'd never seen any bits of it before, and they're really young, so there were parts that I had to pause and like get them out. But that's interesting. We can talk about um, that was a very different viewing experience than the other nineteen or however many. And then this time too, I don't know. Speaking of memory, you know, I think I love this movie because of you know where I was in my life and where the movie hit me in 2004 and so then watching it now really critically you know there I receive it very differently than I did that first time that first time I was like oh Clementine she's so cool you know I want to be like her I want to dye my hair different colors you know and she's got like a little liquor bottle in the in the train you know and I was riding on those trains I was like I'm seeing a reflection of myself. Like I'm, I'm cool like that too. I'm just what's for our, her line? For our you listeners, know? you went to school at Columbia in, in New York. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And um, and yeah, that line about just being you know fucked up girl trying to make her own way or whatever. I was like, yeah, girl, yeah, you know. <laughs> and and now looking at how dysfunctional, just like you guys were saying, these memories are not something that I would strive to create in my life now, you know, as a sane adult human. And it's sad almost to think that that tumultuous, like passionate, whatever was something that I was aspiring to. I was like, yeah, they should get back together. They love each other. Like, is that love really actually? They are calling each other names, screaming at each other in public, you know, just saying the nastiest things that last scene you know when he says this was the last time I saw her you know and she comes home and she's drunk as a skunk I mean that kind of behavior and speaking to each other about did you somebody no you just think I did you know Ooh, that is some really really painful painful stuff that happens at the beginning of the movie and his memory is wiped of that by the time he gets to the scenes when they're happy, right? Mm. So that's interesting too. I mean, he doesn't have a recollection anymore of the flea market scene and last time they saw each other when they're, you know, frolicking underneath that beautiful colored quilt. 
so yeah in the in the plot line of the movie he's forgotten and yes in life you know how often like you were saying todd do we skip over all that bad stuff and remember that shining that one moment you know it's silly wow yeah yeah i don't want to be like clementine Good, please don't be like Clementine. Because <laughs> I'm very much like Joel, and I don't know how I can handle that. I'm kind of a wuss, I will say. Um, I, I do want to say one more thing uh, just about this is a textbook film for pre production in so many ways. But Michelle Gondry had to go into this knowing exactly what he needed to get in order to make an edit like this. Because this is not, let's, let's just be clear for all our listeners, whether you're a filmmaker or whether you just like movies or whatever, every movie that you've ever gone to a, to a theater and seen, there have been hundreds of people and all of these people have to be on the same page, right? All of these people have a goal for you as a viewer to have a certain emotion, a certain reaction to, to a scene, uh, to a camera movement to a word that's said, a word that's not said, to an edit that happens, an edit that doesn't happen, to uh, the lighting, to, you know, how are we going to transition from reality to the dream here? What's going to happen in the dream? How many edits are we going to do? Like, what's the, what are the angles? What's the purpose behind it? And in order to get all of these people on the same page for something like this, where you're in and out of reality constantly, where when you're in when you're out of reality, um, going to different, there, there's so many locations in this movie. I mean, hundreds, I feel like there's hundreds of locations. I would love to see a call sheet, yeah. <laughs> um, or a hundred call sheets, however long it took to shoot. But you have, when you're in one location, the idea is to get as many shots as you can for the entire movie mm. at that location. So if you're going to, if you're going to see this scene at the beginning of the movie and things are one way and then you're going to see it halfway through and then you're going to see it at the end and things are different each time you have to know where that's going to be in the edit you have to know how to change your acting uh, so how to talk to your actors you know have to know what kinds of shots you need to get that are am i getting the same exact shot but they're going to be talking different speaking differently am i going to get different angles and because they're speaking differently, all of these things make a difference. And this film, more than even a film like Whiplash or something that, that you know, one for editing, to me is, 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 other than the music, is the highlight of this film. It is unbelievable the amount of time that, that Michelle and everybody... I mean, the actors, yes, but I'm not even going to talk about the actors. Just everybody behind the scenes um, had all this time that they had to put in to make all this. It is it's a lot of vision. It's, it's a lot so, of it's so much vision. Experimenting and failing and yeah. trying it again. But the interesting thing with Michelle Gondry is he loves this stuff. He loves all these practical things. There's this great music video that he did with Kylie Minogue, uh, coming to my world. And I'll link it in the show notes, but it's the simplest thing in the world. It's her walking in a circle on a street corner. And as every time the camera oh, completes yeah. its circle, that. they add in another Kylie. And by the end you have like four or five Kylie's going around in this circle all side by side all kind of interacting with each other in these little ways and it's 
the way his mind works, I would, I would love to see his memory and see, yeah, right? see how he interacts with his own thoughts. Because this was written by Charlie Kaufman, but it was uh, the story was by both of them and uh, a third uh, writer as well. They mm-hmm. all kind of got together, and I don't know in what bits and parts. That's why I just left it at the screenplay. Yeah. But his mind clearly works in some of these ways too, and it's just the coolest thing in the world to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to build a set, and I. I would assume some of these were built sets, like these modular sets. I would, if I was guessing, I would guess the living room was a, was a modular set that he was able to connect with the grocery store and whatever. There was another scene where they seamlessly transitioned from something else into the living room. But just having that idea of what can we do that's absolutely insane and that's going to trip us out and make us believe, suspend disbelief that we're in a movie theater and that we're watching someone's memory in play. What yes. can we do to establish that? And how to degrade it in a way that makes sense to what they're doing in the real world to put that in order, right? So yeah. the, the order right. of things disappearing, right? Or changing or whatever, like, like his, the, the living room in one, at one angle, it's, it's full. And then he turns around, turns back around and it's empty. Like, and, or when they're, when they're in the, the bathtub and he's looking for them, Right. Oh, we found him. And then all of a sudden the plug gets pulled and he goes down the drain. And then he pops up in the car. Yes. And I love that section too because the they split the audio and I want to say they, they do his ADR and then degrade her quality to kind of divide the scene even more. Like he's now lucid and she's part of his memory. And so they're like creating this split audio that you have to plan for, for sure, but also do a lot of work and post on to make sure it all plays seamlessly. Yeah. That's so much work. It's crazy. That scene was hilarious this evening when they're eating with the chopsticks and Jim Carrey turns around and then everything's empty in the living room. The kids saw that. That was one of the scenes that the kids saw. And I was trying to explain to Simon, you know, he's, um, six. And so he's like, what's going on? You know, I said, Oh, it's fake, you know, and they're journeying through this guy's memories, you know, I was doing <laughs> six year old version of the movie and Charlotte heard too. And then I shooed them away and Charlotte walks back in the room. I was in the kitchen before she walks back in the room and she's like, mommy, I was in the living room at this point. I was like, yes, darling. And she turns around in the kitchen. She's looking around she doesn't see me. Finally, she oh. sees me. And oh. she goes, oh, mommy, I thought your memory was erased. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Just a little trauma uh, for the child. Yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. But she, like, got the yeah, concept, she got the you concept. know. A four-year-old can get the concept. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The that's, idea of turning around and you're not there and, and she just you know, seen how disorienting that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's our new method of pitching ideas. So we go to and see if Charlotte understands them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you understand this? Okay, cool. That's ready for the masses. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Uh, last thoughts, impressions. What do you, yeah. how do you rate this? Oh, well, I'll go first. I'll go first. Um, this is a 10 for me or out of five. Yeah. Out of five. Out of five. It's a five yeah. for me. Definitely. I, oh, I mean, because. We didn't even talk about the soundtrack, Ooh. which mm-hmm. I can just leave to you because well, you love John Bryan. But there is so much to be said about a soundtrack for a movie. If any note would have been different in the soundtrack, it would not have been the same movie. It is 
the defining thing other than editing and all the, you know, shit I just talked about. It is definitely the defining thing of this movie. I, I hear one note from that theme song and I melt. I just like collapse internally into myself, you know, it, other movies, you know, it does that like, um, the, the score, the soundtrack is, is just as important, you know, interstellar. It's very important. And, and if one note is different in that movie, maybe it doesn't have the same impact. It is hugely important. And where these, these tracks are placed is really important too. And that main theme that comes back, not the, not the song that you played at the end, which is, oh God, is just as good. But the main theme has this, this out of tune, warbly, mm-hmm. old piano sound to it. And it makes you, f- it kind of like makes you feel like their relationship is old. Their relationship is aged. They've aged, right? They've, they've, uh, they're warped a little bit, but it's still, if it would have been a perfect piano, it would not have worked. Right. And there is no perfect piano. There is no perfect relationship. And to be okay with that and making that the core of that track is like so important. Yeah. Right. And, and John Bryan is brilliant at that, at that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But especially for this, it was, I think, I feel like the entire movie revolved around that score and that particular sound in that score. Because everything else around it is just like a normal thing that you might hear, you know, like there's, I think that there's like a, like there's pad, there's pad sounds and stuff and, and, you know, maybe some strings. I don't know. I don't even know. Right. (laughs) It's just, it's this, that warbly piano sound that just, man, one note from that piano. I could tell you, I could tell you if, if I heard one note from like five different pianos, I could tell you that are out of tune. I can tell you, no, that's the piano they used. Like it is, is perfectly perfect place anyway sorry so you can name I, that tune in one beat. one one beat okay yeah so uh, yeah i give it a five i mean the acting's perfect the yeah. directing is perfect the script is perfect um the setup is perfect i feel every single scene uh yeah yeah nice hmm. yeah that sparse almost silent soundtrack so much of it is just space yeah and just yeah. a little dum dum. Oh yeah. Oh, I've been listening to it on Alexa for <laughs> a week in preparation. Yeah, I, you're giving me all the plugged feels. her back in. You have right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I would give it a out of five. Then you can do like you know, you know, three point five or. 4. I, 5 I or used five. to give it a five. I would give it a four point seven five. <laughs> okay. The acting is beautiful. The soundtrack is beautiful. Really, for me, the power in that movie is that it makes me cry. You know, it, there is some magical chemistry or alchemy or whatever that I can be critical of the, the characters. I can be, you know, I can have kind of an adult real life disagreement with how they're choosing to move forward or whatever in the story. But it's powerful, those those moments that they created of, yeah, the shame in his memories and, you know, that desire for connection that they both have, um, this kind of fumbling, trying their best and f***ing it up, but still loving one another. I mean, it's it's really powerful and sad and beautiful, and, and usually I 
just fall asleep like now yeah. I'm, I'm just like oh i'm over it you yeah. know i don't get the feels i don't get angry or you know emotional about a lot really and this one just still works when he's mm-hmm. on his knees screaming i'm weeping you know when they're returning the third time to the ice in the charles river i'm weeping when the last line of the movie yeah, to your point earlier wes on a script or my students hand in a story and the last line is okay. Like, really? That's it? <laughs> but that last line of the whole movie is okay. And I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, that's, that's a win. It's I have awesome. one question for you before we get to your, 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 your um, rating, Wes. So in the end, when they, he says, okay, and they stay together in your old age, do you agree with that? Not, not, I'm not asking if you would do it. Maybe I am asking if you would do it. I think they should main, if, if they were real people. And yeah, they're real people yeah. who, yes, yes. Yeah. What's your advice? My advice would be to maintain the hopeful, positive, faithful, like go get them spirit of moving forward despite adversity, but with other people. So you don't that think they kind should of, stay together? You know, I've said it a bunch of times, you know, I've said it to you stuff sometimes can, can be so broken. It cannot be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pain in the house, you know, do I have faith that it would turn out differently? Do you? I don't know. So, cause here's the thing. Is it, it's a different start, right? Their start before they knew nothing of each other at all. Yeah. Now they have all this, basically a blueprint for how shitty they were to each other. Yeah. And I think it is, does that affect it as, as bad as in, and messy as she was, I think the other core component, uh, maybe even more central is him accepting her and accepting what she is and who she is. Uh, that's the big difference. Uh, he, and so, you know, from a bigger level, symbolically, he was going through and wiping out his idea of her and now he's ready to actually see her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the fresh start that they're getting. That's probably just as important. And probably for her too, if we could see from her point of view, maybe she was whatever her opinion on him was of her vision, her projection uh, Mm -hmm. has probably been corrected as well. She's like, Oh, He's needy, and I need to understand that. <laughs> but but to her point, you know, all the bad stuff was wiped first, and so he was holding on to the wrong version of her. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So did he really, like, is he really now ready to accept her, even though he, in his memory he was holding on? Maybe. I, okay, okay, I see the point. Yeah. I, I see the point, yeah. because then then he's holding on to his version of her, right? The but that was wiped. Yep. That was wiped too. Right. So she was completely wiped. Yeah. And so now starting from zero and, and learning, yeah, like, this is who she really is. Cause when you meet somebody, that's you all, all you got is a projection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's the first impression. So all you can do is just kind of make these assumptions based on these little moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think symbolically, if we're looking at this uh, in that way, in that light, this is one big symbolism for him letting go of his projection and accepting her for who she is. Like if there is no memory wiping service, whatever, this is just a, an exercise for him to, to deal with reality for a change. Do you think that he could? 
Uh, yeah, I think I think Maybe that gets the, to the, the okay the the core question. I think anyone should answer uh, is can people change, and I think they can. And so, yeah. yeah, I think he could. I I'd probably still go towards. I don't know. I'm a pretty, despite what you think, I'm a pretty uh, uh, optimistic guy. When when in in life, uh, what are you talking about? We've had so many conversations where you call me, where you where you, you don't call me pessimistic. You just. You don't call me optimistic. You say you're not an optimistic. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's always a double negative there. Yeah. But I, I, I appreciate the uh, the nuance in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just tangential. Yeah. <laughs> Super. Super. Just, yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're opti- tangentially optimistic. <laughs> you're... S- <laughs> But Absolutely. I would give this like a four for me. It's a four out of five. Okay. I, I really enjoy it. I tend to have a hard time rewatching Charlie Kaufman films. Mm. Uh, his content can sometimes be so reality based that it feels dry at times. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm ready for the like something fun and, and interesting. But it never fails to certainly entertain me, but also be thought provoking. And so uh I couldn't give it like I would be really upset if I thought I could give this anything less than a four because visually, I mean, all the performances are absolutely perfect. And it's so fun seeing a young Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Oh, my God. So young. Oh, my God. So she. Yeah. They're just fantastic. Yeah. So for me, it's a solid four, probably trending to a four and a half. Uh, But yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, Yeah. I like it. I like it so much. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So. Everybody stay tuned for next week. What are we? Oh, man. Um, There's like no options here. So son of God. Didn't we have we had something that we were going to. We had several ideas. Well, how about we do what we're going to see? You know, how about we do a, a Ford versus Ferrari? Okay, so yeah, we're we're catching a, a morning matinee tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ford v Ferrari, and so we'll be doing that next week. So stay tuned for that. Want to give a couple shout outs, Joe? Last week's episode, we had like the most commenting going on on the website. Yeah, right. Like ever. Like, yeah, from we've never had more than one person comment on a single episode, and now we we we've had like six people, five people, uh, and so but Joe came through like gangbusters and he gives this uh, our buddy joe in new zealand the kiwi joe works for weta digital it's like one of the and you would have to lump it in with like ilm and one or two others maybe that is just the best visual effects company in the world and joe works for them and he's incredible and he goes through and we make this comment go watch edge of tomorrow and listen to the episode uh, and then go read his comments because he makes these really great observations about uh, and really informative about how the visual effects work on set and who supervises and why and although it's it's really great and same thing like izzy came through had a lot of great commentaries this was a new movie that was a new movie for him and oh, cool. scott and hannah like the whole gang was there hannah <laughs> H- hannah's the 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 actual fan that we have yeah <laughs> it was amazing like uh and her her comment really lit me on fire and i'm excited yeah. to respond to that i like to give it sometimes a day or two as i collect my thoughts hmm. so it's not because i'm lazy everybody it's usually because I'm, it's because he's lazy. Um, yeah and because i'm lazy. Uh, uh, this week, the check the website for the short spotlight. There's a short film on there called Daughter of the Sea that I found. It's by 
Massio Frost. Apologies if I butcher your name, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever just randomly stumbled onto. Uh, and it's beautiful and it's this great commentary about the ocean and uh, all kinds of things. Like I, I'll put it on there. Check it out. You'll love it. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes and Google Play and wherever else you listen. Give us a thumbs up if you're on the YouTubers. Uh, and don't forget, if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash eternal sunshine. And quick thank you to our, our patrons. Yes. Uh, we have a few more now. Uh, so, yeah, Chris Burns. Buddy, thank you so much. We really appreciate the support. Uh, it definitely tells us we don't suck too bad. <laughs> so thank you very much for that. Yeah, so we'll leave you with a quote of the day from Charlie Kaufman. And this is real. This is really good. Good, good choice here. Uh, I hate a movie that will end by telling you that the first thing you should do is learn to love yourself. That is so insulting and condescending and so meaningless. My characters don't learn to love each other or themselves, <laughs> that's, which is this movie. That's so I feel funny. like, right? You, you know, from what you were saying, like, do y'all all agree with that? I don't know if I do necessarily, but I think it's, I love just conceptually coming from yeah. that perspective of yeah. stop telling me to love each other. There's, there's better ideas and there's better uh, things yeah. to commentate on. And I don't, I don't know what this is in reference to this quote. I have no idea what, if this was like after adaptation and he was like, I hate all of humanity or what. But, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea, but I love that idea of stop making this so basic and this kind yeah. of white Christmas garbage. Like let's make something more meatier that has less condescension, uh, inclined to it. I don't know what, what kind of content do you generate towards? And, Oh yeah. I don't want to lecture. For sure. You know, we don't need to go to a movie to get a lecture about how to do my life better. You know, add yeah. that to the to-do list. And thank you very <laughs> right, much. right. No, it's, it's really beautiful and powerful when you see in a film what feels like a representation of real, real life, life in all its messiness. Yeah, and their costumes and her hair dye grown out, you know, just still going to be drunk, still going to scream at each other. And they're like, okay. And how, how biting was his response to that? Whenever she, she makes this comment, you're trying to figure out if I went and screwed somebody else. And he's like, I don't have to wonder. Isn't that how you get people to like you? Ooh, that's, a, that's, 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 that sounds like a real conversation point. someone and, had before. Yeah. And he, and, oh, totally. Right. And you can tell he, he had that in his back, but he was like, I'm, I'm going to say this one day. Here's my missile. Thought about that for a while and just mm. didn't like, Oh, this is the perfect moment. This is the, now I'm going to say it. Fire. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Man. Oh, and the, another hard one too. They're laying in bed and she's like, you're not intimate. You know, you don't communicate with me. And he's like, constantly talking isn't necessarily communicating. Oh, wow. Before we've had our coffee or <laughs> toothbrush or anything, really, that kind of zinger, like rough. Ouch. Yeah. So I would say Charlie Kaufman definitely eats his own dog food, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He means it. <laughs> he really does. Definitely. All right. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you. Have for you having had fun? Me, guys. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Yeah. Really. 
I really enjoyed all your insights, and uh, I'm I'm happy to talk about this movie with you on air. So thank you for joining, babe. Thank Aww. you so much, you guys. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> all right. Well, as Wes said, make sure to join us next week when we do Ford v Ferrari, and uh, share this with your friends as as always, and hit that like and subscribe button and the bell so that whenever we we release these, you're gonna get uh, notified. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. And I'm Jennifer. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.